Hello and welcome to the Training in Public Health podcast. I'm Shamil Haroon. Public health is an incredibly diverse specialty requiring a wide range of skills from health needs analysis to public policy work. Training the workforce to achieve those skills is essential for the development and sustainability of the profession and for embedding public health practice in health and social care. I spoke to Ruth Goldstein to discuss this further. Hi Ruth, thanks very much for taking part in the podcast. Uh, could you start by introducing yourself and saying uh, a little about your background in public health? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Ruth Goldstein. I'm actually a pharmacist by professional training. I was a pharmacist for about 25 years working in the community, but also mainly working on sort of service development for community pharmacists and um, got really into working closely with the public health team then and then eventually um, four years ago, decided to do the um, speciality training program. Got on it on my second attempt. I'm now an ST4 and um, think it's probably been one of the best things I've ever done. Really enjoying it. So my, my public health background is really just the training program. The rest of my life's been as a pharmacist. Great. Thanks very much for that. And uh, we were going to talk about your recent placement at Health Education England. Could you say a bit more about that? Yeah, um, as a STR, you quite often hear about the school and you hear about um, the deanery. And if you're a um, non-medic, I think these words don't mean a great deal to you. So I used to find them quite confusing. Um, But I was also really interested in um, the whole education and training of public health um, workforce. So I asked... um, a while ago now to the deanery if there was any possibility of doing a placement there and was told that they had had a um, an STR in the past and that if I wanted to I you know Rob Cooper who's head of school was very happy that he would be my trainer um, so I, I organized for myself to go and do a five-month placement which started probably um, about six months ago now um, and um, and I it was in the center of Birmingham at Health Education England and I loved every second of it and I do understand a lot more about um, Health Education England now and what they do. Great, could you say a bit more about what the role of public health within Health Education England is? Um, So the Health Health Education England have a remit to uh, um, basically support all medical training and other NHS funded training um, in terms of commissioning um, where it gets done and also quality assuring. So in the world of public health um, that basically means that they are um, in, in, responsible for supporting um, all um, specialty registrars in public health, both finding them placements, finding them educational supervisors, um, supporting their progression through all the competencies, making sure that they're adequ- adequately trained and supported as they go through their training programme. But more than that, Health Education England actually have responsibility for the whole of the public health workforce. Okay. Um, so from... Um, from the work that they do in Birmingham, it's we, we run the UK PHI registration programme for practitioners, and they're also involved in the um, training and support of public health analysts. Um, so that's their main function in terms of public health. And then they have a few other bizarre bits. So then part of their mandate actually also includes um, 
um, spreading spreading public health throughout other dis, um, medical disciplines, and also looking after the health and well being of um, health and well being of staff working in acute trusts. Um, so while I was there, I had an opportunity to not just get involved with um, supporting the quality of STR training, but also looking at um, what we're doing with UKPHR and um, and looking at how we can develop public health programmes through Health Education England to sort of widen the public health workforce. Great. Sounds quite broad, actually, a lot broader than, than I'd appreciated, where I think as, as a, a registrar in public health, you tend to uh, think about Health Education England very much in terms of your own training and not realise that there's a much wider remit uh, yeah. for training the wider public health workforce. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And, and it really surprised me as well. And it also, the, the, the fact that there were so many opportunities, I mean, I ended up doing sort of three big pieces of work while I was there. But actually, when I first went to discuss what I could do, there was about six or seven um, projects which all could do with being done. Um, so, you know, the, the, there is actually an awful lot of work that STRs can do in, in, in Health Education England, which I don't really think we're, we're necessarily aware of at the moment. Yeah. Could, could you say a bit more about the projects that you were involved in? Yeah. So I, um, the, one, the, the first piece I did was um, looking at the progression of um, public health practitioners through the UK PHR registration programme. So each year now, for about the last five years, um, West Midlands have enrolled about 20 or 30 um, public health practitioners onto the UK PHR registration programme. So could you say that what, say just a little bit of what UK PHR is in case any so, of the listeners so, don't know about that? Yep, it's the United Kingdom Public Health Registra- Register. And it's, it's really designed for um, anybody up to... Um, a specialty registrar level, um, whereby you can actually gain accreditation to join the register, which gives you a um, a place to belong as somebody who works in public health. Um, it gives you a recognition that you've you, that you've worked at a certain level within public health, right. and a lot of public health departments now are actually making registration with UK PHR part of their employment criteria for people who are working as sort of um, at sort of band five six in, and above um, within um, the public health teams it's a voluntary registration process so you don't have to be a member of the United Kingdom public health register um, but it does give you a place to live um, it's it's not run up it's not all it's not take it hasn't been taken up nationally everywhere in all um, deaneries yet I think there's a, probably about half of the countries covered by the UK PHR scheme. West Midlands is one of the first three areas to get really involved with UK PHR because it's a real way of giving a career progression structure to people working within public health teams. Um, but what happens to actually become to get on the register? You have to um, provide um, written evidence that you have obtained certain competencies and demonstrated so you've got to pro- you've got to provide evidence of educational achievement within various areas of work and then also demonstrate how you how you've applied those achievements to piece that, that education to pieces of work essentially people end up having to produce sort of three or four written pieces of work which are basically commentaries on things that they've done 
identifying where they can claim competencies and what work they've done and what education they've done to support those competencies. Everybody who signs up um, plans to complete their registration within about 18 months because that's how long it should take to do this. And then there's a, a team of assessors, pe people who will assess these commentaries in the West Midlands against, against set criteria. And if you pass through the assessments, you then um, go to a verification panel and get accepted onto the UK PHR register. Um, out of the probably, I don't know, 300 people over the last five years who have gotten registered with the programme, um, only 20% of people have actually um, completed their registration process. Now, the West Midlands is no different to anywhere else in the country where they run the UK PHR programme. So the attrition rate um, of, through the programme is gigantic. Very few people actually um, make it all the way to registration. So I did a piece of work trying to identify what the barriers to registration are because everybody comes in really enthusiastic on day one. They want to join the register. They think they're capable of doing the, doing the three commentaries. They think they're working at the right level and that they've got all the education to support that level. And they start really enthusiastically and then four or five years down the line, they basically die on the scheme and they just disappear into thin air and they never complete their registration. Gosh. Which is really, you know, which is really bad in terms of morale and career progression because you sign up because you're keen and enthusiastic because you want to gain this registration and then life just basically gets in the way and you just don't do it, which, you know, is quite demotivating really. Um, so I did a piece of work looking at what those barriers were and came up with some recommendations as to how we can potentially um, support people. Various, various things have been tried to support people through the process over the years, but they've, always, they've not really been done systematically. So by going through all the data we've got and actually doing some focus groups with some of the um, current UK PHR students, um, I could try and identify what the barriers were. And um, one of the key things seems to be that people just get lost in the system and work overtakes them. We don't have a mentor coaching system available for public health um, practitioners. And a lot of them felt that that would be really useful. So we're now in the process through Health Education England of training up um, specialty registrars in public health so that they can then become mentors for practitioners who are doing the UK PHR scheme. Um, to try and increase the um, the number of um, practitioners who actually get on the register across the West Midlands. Sorry, that went on a bit long. I apologise. <laughs> no, that's great. I think you've really clarified the UK PHR scheme, which um, I'm sure many people still aren't completely aware of or only vaguely aware of. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like a, a very well worth project in terms of trying to get that reduce that attrition rate. Yeah, so that was one of the pieces of work. Another piece of work I did was looking at the educational supervision that um, STRs in public health currently get in the West Midlands. There's new legislation come out or new requirements come out from the General Medical Council in terms of educational supervision for um, specialty registrars across the whole um, medical remit. And obviously public health fits into that. So our educational supervisors are going to have to um, provide a great deal more um, evidence that they are capable of supervising us. And they're going to have to um, look at the way they're supervising us. Are they providing support in the right way? Is the level of support they're providing appropriate? Is the breadth of support they're providing appropriate? So as part of that piece of work, um, one of the um, training programme directors 
team asked me if I would go and find out from the um, um, public health registrars how they felt their educational supervision was um, provided and identify good and less good practices associated with it so that that could then be fed into a new training package for educational supervisors. Um, so I did a big questionnaire around all um, specialty registrars and then did some focus groups with um, STRs and identified some common themes in terms of what is good and what is less good in, in the context of educational supervision. And I then um, sort of wrote out some scenarios that could be used um, for the training package and also some frequently asked questions which could which educational supervisors could refer to, which would help them unpick some of the finer detail about their role, um, which had come out through through the data that I'd collected. Um, so that was the second piece of work that I did. Can, can, I, just then, a, can I just ask about that yeah. uh, just a little bit more? Um, did you find any really good examples of supervision or, or things yes. that really seemed to, to stand out and that really worked? Yeah, there were, there were certainly some educational supervisors who actually take their role very seriously and, and they actually dissociate themselves successfully from the pieces of work that the individual STR is doing and their educational supervision. So there was, there was a few examples where um, educational supervisors will have um, a two-weekly meeting with, an, with, with a, um, an STR, the first half of which is based on how they're getting on with their projects and stuff like that. But then the second half they actually use either as a, a teaching session for an area of development that the um, registrars identified they need help with or a, a sort of career development session where they talk about their future placements where they want to end up in public health what opportunities they should take um, so I felt that was really really good practice um, and there were other examples where um, educational supervisors had done things like um, proper learning contracts with um, um, STRs, they'd produce project, proper project plans with STRs with defined um, learning outcomes and competencies attached to them. They had um, really identified the learning styles for the STRs and the types of support and development that each individual STR needed. Um, unfortunately, those examples, um, which, were, which, were, which were definitely in there uh, and very positive, were outnumbered by the... Um, by some of the less good um, experiences that were, were out there. You have to take it all with a pinch of salt because this was all from STR perspectives. So the, the, the educational supervisors haven't had a chance to respond to any of this. Um, but there were certainly examples in there where um, people just felt that their, their educational supervisor just didn't get them and um, was actually quite disruptive to their progression. Um, Quite often, they were very critical, and but not in a um, in a in a useful way. Um, several people felt there were some personal issues between themselves and their educational supervisors, and that tended to be related to age or qualifications, and and even unfortunately, you know, gender and ethnicity came up as potential barriers to a good working relationship. Um, so some of those issues were quite concerning, really. Um, one of the biggest issues that was raised was that the, um, the educational supervisors found it very difficult to not be managers of, um, of STRs. And basically, they'd given them a piece of work and then their supervision seemed to um, be, set, be focused around just making sure that piece of work got done and 
and then got filed on a shelf because that's what they need. They needed to be able to tick that box that the STR had done that piece of work. Um, so there was an awful lot came out of that piece, that, out of the, um, the bit of work that I did. Um, as I say, not all particularly positive, but I think all very informative as to um, how we maybe need to formalise and um, raise the... Um, raise the level of support that's been provided to STRs. And, and, and a lot of the, some of the issues are really that STRs have got a very low level of expectation and therefore they didn't, they just accepted really some quite poor practices and didn't feel that they could take those anywhere because they weren't aware about the lines of responsibility. They weren't using their zone coordinators properly. They weren't using their academic supervisors either. Um, so I think there's some, there's some learning for everybody from that, from that piece of work. And that's, say, being fed back through the TPD team who are now looking at redoing the train-the-trainer package for um, educational supervisors. Great. And uh, do you think now with the um, added uh, accreditation being required by the GMC that that might change things in a positive way for, for um, supervision? I think I think what it will potentially do is um, make education supervisors actually positively choose to be an education supervisor um, and actually um, they will um, have to find the time to do it rather than it's something that they just get landed with or they walk into just thinking, oh, well, that would that, be something I should do, so I'll do it. I think, it'll be, I think it will be a more positive choice to be an education supervisor. I think there is definitely a feeling, though, that the extra accreditation may well um, put some educational supervisors over the edge, and they'll just say, "Do you know what? I can't. I can't do this." Um, so there is there is a feeling um, at Health Education England that there may well be a bit of a crisis with educational supervision, um, not just for public health um, STRs, but across the patch, um, and that's something that they're trying very hard to keep an eye on. Right. Well, I'm sure the the work that you've done will help support. Um, consultants in their role as educational supervisors and and help meet the the requirements of, of the uh, new GMC criteria. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And then the other big piece of work that I did while I was there was to, um, which is still ongoing actually, and that is to set up a um, public health community fellowship program for F2 doctors in training. Um, the idea of this is that all the F2 doctors in training in the West Midlands would be given the opportunity to apply to the fellowship. So these, these, are, these are doctors who've, who are just in their second year of training, right? Yeah. These are non, so these are people who haven't got any, um, any experience of public health necessarily. They're just doctors, as you say, in their second year of sort of post-degree training um, level. And um, the idea is that while they're doing their, their, their placements during their F2 year, they will work in teams of sort of six or eight people, six or eight doctors, supervised or supported by a public health specialty registrar on a specific community or voluntary um, sector-based project, um, which, is, which is in some way connected to public health. So it may be a needs assessment that a charity wants doing. It may be an evaluation of a service that they've tried to do. It may be a, an audit of, um, of, I don't know, visually impaired um, services within a local authority. Um, it could be anything that is relating to public health that is being um, managed by the third sector currently. Um, I've, we've made connections with um, 
through the Regional Action for Community Services um, and Voluntary um, Support Network. We've, we've got eight different um, charitable or community-based projects identified across the West Midlands um, who are willing to take teams of um, F2 doctors um, to do small, um, very specific projects with them. So we've got a list of potential projects We've advertised to um, the F2 doctors to see if they want to do the fellowship. So far, about 35 of them have come forward saying they're interested and we've got an information evening next Thursday night. Wow, that's, um, a, re- that's a really good uh, response. Well, the idea is that it gives the F2s an opportunity to, to understand what public health is about. And, and hopefully, although I'm sure most of them won't end up working in public health, wherever they do work, they'll hopefully embed some of the key concepts and the wider determinants that public health kind of work on in their day-to-day work um so yeah i mean they've got once they've come to the information evening they need to identify which projects they'd like to work on they need to fill an application form and providing those are reasonable i'm hoping that we end up with around about 30 um um, fellowships being awarded so that'll give us sort of six teams of five um f2 doctors each one will have an str who will link them to the in, to the different organizations and um, over a sort of three month period we're asking the um, f2 doctors to give six days um, of their time they actually get study days and they get trial days um, within their f2 training program so we're suggesting that they use those days to do these six days work and then hopefully that will be whatever they come up with will have broaden their horizons and also be of a real benefit to the organisation that they're working with. Um, It also gives the specialty registrars, the public health specialty registrars, an opportunity to practice their sort of um, support of colleagues um, kind of skills and their management skills in terms of managing this cohort of F2 doctors and the the, the voluntary organisation. Um, so that's we're, we're, we're say we're hoping to recruit our first cohort in um, in next week and to get started in December hopefully. So that's quite exciting and obviously that took quite a lot of negotiation both with voluntary sector organisations to get our projects identified, um, negotiations with the um, the people at Health Education England responsible for F2 training. Um, How were they? Were they were they quite responsive? Do you know what? They were absolutely bowled over by the idea. It was yeah. really bizarre that they that they just could they could see the value of it instantly. Um, it's several of them commented that they wished the other medical disciplines would also come up with similar fellowships. I get the impression that the West Midlands um, deanery hasn't offered a sort of fellowship program to F2 doctors whereas some of the other deaneries um, are actually a little bit more proactive and have several different fellowship programs they offer um, but like one of the GP um, training leads was sort of saying well we could do this for GP land couldn't we because that would give everybody a chance to see how fab you know GP training is and, and that might help us recruit more in the future um, and a couple of the other specialties were sort of saying, gosh, we should do this as well. But now public health have done it, they'll nab all of the F2s. <laughs> uh, so it was it got to be quite competitive in the meeting. But yeah, yeah no, they, they could instantly see the value of it for everybody and just thought it was a really great opportunity and just couldn't work out why we'd never done it before. Has this been tried anywhere else? or is... Yeah, it's been, it started originally, the first place to use it was London. Um, now, they started in 2012 after the Olympics as a way of um, building on the Olympic legacy. So that's where it first came from. Uh, um, but, um, and then Wessex 
deanery have taken it on board. So I think we'll be the third if we can get it going. Great. Well, I wish you all the best with that project. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it goes. Um, what, what sort of skills did you develop um, during the course of your placement at, at Health Education England and how do they relate to the training curriculum? Um, I think there was a lot of, um, a lot of skills were about working and networking with other people um, outside of the normal public health world. Um, I needed, which was good. Um, also the analytical skills in terms of looking at the database for the UK PHR and, and identifying some trends and, and some, um, you know, taking some real raw data, and it was really raw data, and actually trying to work out what it said. There were some research skills in there as well from the focus groups that I did. Um, but predominantly, it was more about networking, collaborative working, and, um, and sort of project leadership more than anything else, I think. And did, did any other opportunities arise from, from the placement? Um, the, the other thing that I, I started to get involved in but just, just couldn't make work, unfortunately, was, was trying to work with, the, um, with Public Health England um, on the um, workplace health agenda for the NHS trusts. So whilst the mandate to look after the health and well-being of NHS staff belongs to um, Health Education England, um, Public Health England are actually the people who have got the lead for workplace health. Um, so I was trying to link up with them um, to find out what they'd done in terms of NHS Trust's workplace health and then try and set up a weight management programme um, with them. I think that my agenda and the Public Health England's agenda were probably at two different time frames. So whilst I raised the issue and managed to get some, some facilitation going between the um, HR directors of our local trusts who all go to various meetings at Health Education England and the and Public Health England, that, that, that piece of work never really took off, but it's just waiting for support, really. So I'm hoping the next person who goes in my, as an STR will be able to pick that one up. Yeah, no, it sounds like a great opportunity since there's such growing interest in the health and well-being of NHS staff, um, particularly with the, the five-year forward view and, and previously the Borman review, really highlighting the importance of that. So... Um, certainly an opportunity for future trainees there. Um, yep. what, what do you think the, the main benefits might be for population health from the work that you've been doing at Health Education England? Um, well, I think, I think just by getting more involved with other health care education um, and talking about public health and where it fits and broadening um, people's perceptions of public health issues... Um, I think could have huge benefits um, to the whole population. So, for example, we've got the Make Every Contact Count programme, which is run through um, Health Education England, which has now got me um, MEC training embedded with all nurse training, dental training, um, opticians training, um, I'm trying to think of radiographer training. So all, all these other um, healthcare professionals are now trained to Make Every Contact Count um, so which I think is a real start in terms of widening out the public health workforce with, with, the, um, with the aim of, sort of health improvement. I think the gap, however, is that once everybody, once patients visiting these healthcare professionals have, have received their MEC intervention, um, I don't necessarily think that we've got the, the systems to refer them actually onto the services properly embedded. Right. So I think that's probably what health education needs to think about next. 
So whilst they've got it in the undergraduate training for all of these healthcare professionals, it's the, and then what do they do once they've had that conversation with somebody about their smoking or their weight or whatever it happens to be. So creating more of a system. Uh, yes, more of a systems approach, absolutely. Yeah. But I think, I think by exposing many more um, healthcare staff to um, public health issues, you know, the, 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 the tentacles of public health could be really far-reaching and it could reach the most vulnerable members of society who are potentially in contact with other health and social care professionals but not public health professionals. Oh, absolutely, and I, I like the expression tentacles of public health. <laughs> it makes it sound like a sea monster. <laughs> but I do think it is a bit like that, yeah. <laughs> Um, are there any uh, reports or, or research articles you'd recommend reading on this uh, on this topic on, on workforce development? Um, it's definitely worthwhile looking um, at um, at how the um, Health Education England um, websites and seeing how your local people's local um, office, health education offices are working. They have these things called local education councils and local education boards which cover all localities within an area and they decide on their workforce needs and, and anything that you can anything that people can kind of gauge from what's on the website about how these boards are made up and who sits on them. There is a place on the boards for um, public health which often is empty unfortunately just because of the pressures on local authority public health directors. Um, so that so it's certainly worth doing that. I didn't really find, I mean, I, I obviously had to get quite embedded in the literature around educational supervision for medical um, trainees, um, but that was very specific to that, to the project that I did. Um, but there wasn't really any other generic reading around sort of health education England and, and what they're about particularly. Were there any conferences or courses that you'd recommend? <laughs> Not that I, not that I'm aware of. I mean, one of the things I'm hoping to do eventually is is write up the um, the educational supervision project, um, actually, and, and may, maybe do a presentation at, at some conferences with it, and really probably looking to help to educational health educational conference. But I haven't identified where that would be or, or how it how it works yet. No. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to comment on that we haven't covered? Um, no, well, I suppose the only other thing that I'd say is placements like this, um, I mean, they are a bit left of centre from what you do traditionally as an STR. Um, but actually, I just think the opportunity to understand how public health fits in different areas um, actually will benefit you people dramatically when they go and take some of the routine jobs. And, and an example of that was um, while I was at Health Education England, I got... Um, got talking about, you know, lack of GPs and GP recruitments um, and what the other opportunities were. And Health Education West Midlands are very keen to develop the um, um, physician's associate roles, uh, particularly at putting non-medical practitioners into um, A&E departments, but also looking at potentially um, doing that within um, primary care settings. Um, so now I'm back working for a local authority in the CCG. 
the CCG, one of the CCGs I'm working with has got a high proportion of um, elderly single hand um, GP practices. So one of the things I can take to the table now whilst talking, um, working at the CCG is the concept of um, physicians associates. And, and maybe they should look as a CCG to developing that model within some of their practices to try and relieve some of the workload. Now, if I hadn't taken the um, off-the-wall um, placement at Health Education England, yes, I'm sure eventually I'd have heard about physicians associates, but I probably wouldn't be confident um, within a, a CCG kind of environment. So I I think my final word would probably be, you know, to encourage people to look at some of the alternative kinds of placements like this and don't dis don't dismiss them because they're not necessarily where you're going to end up getting a job. I just think the learning from the wider areas where public health is involved is really useful. That's great advice and I think um, a brilliant point to, to end the podcast. Um, thanks so much for your time, Ruth. Really appreciate it. It's been a, a really, really interesting discussion. And many thanks for listening.